All right, have a seat. Good morning, everybody. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Eric Frisbee. I am the kids pastor here at our Tomball campus. And uh, yeah, so it's a family worship Sunday, so we are glad that you are here with your family. Um, just taking a moment to recognize what that is. Um, it is a moment for your kids to see you live out your faith. So as you worship, as you pray, as you open the scripture, whether that's in your phone or you brought one, it's whatever, um, but your kids get to see your faith lived out. And that is actually just as important, if not maybe more important than what we do on a Sunday down in our kids' ministry. So just know, um, we are glad that you are here with your family. Um, also, just so you know, if your kids are running around, as Kevin said, or talking or playing with things, like, I'm used to that. That's what we do every Sunday, okay? So it's all good. <clears throat> All right, so uh, this week we are going to be continuing in our sermon series, Kings and Prophets. And uh, what we've seen so far in this time is that God has raised up prophets to be his voice to the people, the people of Israel. And the people of Israel, uh, you know, they looked around at all the other nations and they said, hey, we want a king like everybody else. Why don't we have like, we want to be like they have a king. And so... Um, Samuel warns them. He said, now look, if you want a king, here's what's going to come along with it. And uh, still they say, no, that's okay. We want a king. We're sure about that. And, and, uh, and so God relents and he gives them a king. That's where we find King Saul. And that's who we heard about last week. King Saul looked the part, but he didn't have the heart. So King Saul looked like a king. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. Um, but what we saw last week is that he actually uh, didn't have the heart to be king, to follow and submit to God. His partial obedience was really disobedience. And because of that, um, God removed the kingship from Saul. And so after Saul, uh, God said, I'm going to give my kingship. My, the next person who's going to be a king is a man after my own heart. And this is uh, David, a shepherd boy. You may have heard of David He's the David of David and Goliath. He's a, he rises to popularity as a mighty warrior. Um, and he unites the kingdom after Saul dies. He unites the kingdom. Uh, he goes and gets the Ark of the Covenant, the very physical representation of who God is. And he brings it back to the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is amazing. Like, it's succeeding. David is rocking it as a king. He is uh, successful at work. He is successful in his character and in his spiritual life. He's rocking it. And it's at this high point that David has a big mess up. In fact, this point will kind of like begin a downward spiral following this moment. And what better thing to talk about than on a family Sunday, right? So... Uh, but, but what we want to look at this morning is as we dive into this, what we're going to see is that how David responds to this sin in his life, how David uh, uh, comes around and uh, just confesses his sin to God is actually super practical for all of us, whether we're preschool, elementary, junior high, senior high, uh, parents, uh, no kids, whatever it is, we get to see this uh, framework 
for what it looks like to actually confess our sin to God. Because newsflash, we all mess up. And so what we're going to look at today is what do we do when we mess up? Um, And before we jump in, let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. Would you quiet our hearts, quiet our minds? Would you open our eyes to see the wondrous things from your word this morning? That as we look at how David responds, um, would you just challenge us in our own hearts about how we respond to the sin in our lives? Jesus, um, we love you and we submit to you. It's in, our name, in your name we pray, amen. All right, so um, as we are going to see, uh, King David is going to really, uh, really mess up. And uh, in case you're wondering like how bad it is, he ticks off five of the big 10. So we got the, the 10 commandments. If you just looked at the list, he would tick off five of them pretty explicitly. And you could even argue maybe even more uh, just in his heart attitude. And so, um, but what we see is how he responds, how he responds to this is like a man after God's own heart. And so uh, what we're going to talk about today is when we respond to the mess that we've made, are we going to respond with a natural heart or a broken heart? And so let's look at it. If we think about this natural heart and what this natural heart looks like, we all have felt it. Um, And in fact, we saw it in King Saul whenever he was confronted with his sin, when he was confronted with his partial obedience. Uh, The prophet Samuel came to him and he he said, uh, King Saul had been given a command you need to go and wipe out the Amalekites. They were bad to Israel. I want you to do this. And King Saul only had partial obedience. Samuel confronts him about it. And Saul says in 1 Samuel 15, 1 through 35, if you look at it, he, he basically responds with, well, it was the people. Uh, it was the people. And he blames the people for Uh, the partial obedience. And then he even responds with, to Samuel, he kind of distances himself from God. If you look at it, it says, uh, your God. He responds to it as your God. And so what we see is Saul distances himself from God, and we see that he blames other people. But this wasn't necessarily just Saul. You see, this happened in the very beginning If you turn to Genesis chapter 3, this is uh, actually how it's been from the get-go. So in kids, we call it the big God story. So in the very beginning of the big God story, God creates the earth. He creates Adam and Eve. He creates them in his image. And uh, he places them in a garden. He says, be fruitful, multiply. Um, you You have rule over all of this, except for one thing. I want you to trust me. And will you trust and obey if I give you this one command, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And we see, like they just had one thing to do, guys. One thing. And uh, very quickly, they mess it up. They make a mess. And because of that, that mess continues down. Uh, If you look at Genesis uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, Let's see this natural heart and how they responded. 
Um, So after they had messed up, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Like he didn't know, right? And, and he said, uh, Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. If you'd like to highlight, underline, you can underline that. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. What do we see his natural heart response? He's afraid of God. And he has shame because he sinned. And then uh, he's afraid and he hides. He pulls back from God. He doesn't want to be close to him. And then God responds to him. Sometimes maybe like we parents do, right? We, We know the mess that they've made. Uh, but we want them to kind of like confess. And so he said, well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And Adam said, what does he do? The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? He gives Eve an opportunity to respond the right way. And the woman said, The serpent deceived me. I ate. So they played the blame game. Now, parents, you know this is true because if you have ever walked in a room with something broken of value, maybe it's, you know, some some anniversary gift you got or something like that, and it's broken on the floor, you know as you look around what's going to happen. It wasn't me. It was sister. It wasn't me. It was brother. Uh, well, well, see, we weren't really doing that. Uh, uh, we, we didn't mean to do it. And, and what happens? They blame one another. Or they try to hide it, right? They try to maybe like fix it. Uh, yeah, maybe we can put it back together, right? We'll get some hot glue. Okay, we put it back together and it kind of looks like, you know, like it's all deformed. And you can clearly see that it is broken. Um, but they tried to hide it. And so we see this natural heart within Adam and Eve of blaming, of hiding, of shame. And this continues. This is the natural heart that's in Saul. And this is the natural heart that is in us. And so we see this natural heart of blaming, hiding, shame. But what we're going to see in how David responds is something different. How David responds Uh, is um, a broken heart. He responds with a broken heart to the sin and mess that he makes. And it's actually captured for us in Psalm 51. So if you would, turn with me to Psalm 51. So Psalm 51 was written. It's It's a psalm that actually gives us a title. And it says, A Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So after David had made a mess, the prophet Nathan was sent to him to confront him with his sin because David had tried to hide it. His natural heart had taken over. He had tried to hide the sin. He thought he was good. And so God sent Nathan to confront him. And in this response, in this broken heart response, we get a framework in Psalm 51 for how we can respond in our brokenness. 
Psalm 51 says, this is how David starts. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. What do we see David start with? We see David start with God's character. You see, a broken heart response is focused and it calls on God's character. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Not because I did anything good. He says, according to your abundant mercy. And this steadfast love, this is a term, we actually heard it in that scripture reading earlier in Exodus 34. This is how God describes himself. It's a characteristic of who God is. It's a piece of him. This this steadfast love is loyal love. Think of words like enduring commitment, promise keeping, motivated by deep and personal care. It's not conditional or based on anything that was earned. You see, we don't earn this type of love from God. This steadfast love from God is just who he is. It says, have mercy on me according to your abundant mercy. God's abundant mercy. You see, a right understanding of God's character leads to the right repentance. So David starts with trying to understand and confess who God's character is. You know, sometimes, I think we, yeah, so sometimes we think of God as uh, either he can be loyal, he can have that loyal, steadfast love, he can show compassion and mercy and grace, or he can be holy, righteous, and just. We think of it like, uh, like my, my students in the back, like video games, when you set up attributes for a character, like they can be big and strong, and they can have super power, but they're not very fast, they're not nimble, right, and so they're slow. Or they can be like quick, and quick on their feet, but they're not very strong. So sometimes we think of God's character as either this or that. Either uh, either he is gracious and merciful or he is just and holy. Maybe you could think of it as he is our buddy or I'm scared to approach him because he's an angry God. New Testament? Old Testament? Like we, we think of these things. And maybe even, like, I don't know your family, uh, what, what your family dynamics are, but for me, sometimes, uh, I, you might think, uh, when I mess up, Dad, Mom, uh, you know, I count to three and I'm getting up from the table and my justice is coming, or uh, it's okay, we'll figure it out, we'll, we'll fix what's broken, right? Sometimes we think of God in these ways. But you see, God is not a sliding scale. For his attributes, you don't have to give up one to get the other. He is both gracious and merciful and righteous and holy and just. If you go to either ends of these spectrums, either ends of these scale, you minimize the gospel. Do you see that? You minimize the gospel. If God is gracious and compassionate, 
Sin is not a big deal. He's going to forgive me. What Jesus did on the cross for us maybe isn't a big deal because God's going to forgive me anyways. If I go to this end, God is righteous and just, and it doesn't matter what Jesus did on the cross because my mess is too big. It can't be solved. But you see, when God is both of these, when God is both of these, yes, our sin is terrible and bad, but God is also so gracious that he loved us so much that he sent us Jesus to pay the price for our sin. And so this right understanding of God's character is what sets up all of David's response. He can come to God with his mess because he knows he is gracious, merciful, steadfast in love. And he's not so scared that he can't come to God. He doesn't hide like Adam and Eve. He comes to God. Um, Let's keep reading and see what's next. So a broken heart response we see focuses on the character of God. And next up, we see that David takes ownership of his sin. Um, He says, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So we see David own his sin. He doesn't blame anyone around him, right? That natural heart response wants to blame, but David doesn't do that. He owns his sin. In fact, he uses three different words to fully describe his sin. You'll see it there in the text. You'll see sin, you'll see transgression, and you'll see iniquity. And he'll play back and forth between these throughout the song. Sin, we often think of as just the bad things that we do. But what David is trying to do is give a full picture that he understands the weight of what he's done. He knows that sin is to fail or miss the mark. God's standard for living. I've missed it. He knows that iniquity uh, is this crooked, wicked behavior that David has had towards other people. And he's transgressed. He's broken trust between people. He's violated the trust of others because of his actions. David has complete and full admission of what he's done. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. He admits... um, Right, He says in here, against you and you only have I sinned. Now, that's not necessarily true. He hurt people. He, in fact, one of those five that he ticked off was murder. Against you and you only have I sinned. But what David recognizes is that um, we, as we interact in the horizontal with other people, it is actually towards God. The ultimate sin is towards God because we are created in God's image. And so when we hurt another image bearer, we are essentially hurting God. And um, Jesus tells us the greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord your God, that's first. 
And then to love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't break them. They are connected. So as we interact with our neighbor, as we love one another, that is tied to how we love God. And David finishes this this section here with this understanding of his true core being, of who he is. This inner sin that's in me brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not necessarily uh, talking about uh, how it happened, but that this inner being within him, his internal state is this sin nature. You see, a broken heart response takes ownership of sin. It doesn't blame others. Uh, it, David didn't blame Bathsheba for deciding to take a bath on the roof that day. He owned his sin. And after he owns his sin, right, he moves into the next piece, that a broken, broken heart response is an authentic, humble, repentant heart. You see, it's one thing to say, I am sorry. It's another thing when it takes root in your heart. Let's read what he says. He says, Behold, You, God, delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Uh, What did we see with King Saul and his response? What did Samuel tell him? He said, it's not necessarily about your sacrifices. It's what on the inside that I'm after. David recognizes that in this psalm and he says, I know that I have messed up, but what I need is deeper and on the inside. And so David comes to him, and because he understands God's character, he knows that God can provide the cleanup. David doesn't try to fix his own mess. He he needs something that can wash him clean. Uh, So when I, maybe some of you moms can relate to this. When I was growing up, uh, my mom still talks about this today. Uh, uh, I liked IBC root beers, and uh, I, I had to have it in a bottle. And in our house, I was running through the house with this IBC root beer, and it slipped out of my hand and spilled and made a giant stain on the floor. I try to clean it up, right? What do we do? Our natural heart response, I got to clean up my mess. I got to clean it up. So you dab it up, you dab it up, you get the rug cleaner, you spray, 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 let it sit, you do what you're supposed to do, right? Circles, circles, you want to do circles to scrub the fibers. But that stain is still there. In fact, she points it out to me when I go home, like, hey, there's that stain, remember that? There has to be something, Uh, I can say sorry, I can say I didn't mean to make that mess, mom but there is still a stain that has to be cleaned. And that's what David is saying here. He's saying that, yes, God, I take ownership of my sin, 
but I need you to do the washing. I need you to do the cleaning. He says, purge me with hyssop. That's a, that's a type of plant that priests would actually use. And so when they would make sacrifices to pay for the sin, they would take the hyssop, dab it in the blood, and then they would sprinkle it. And it was, and it was to symbolize that that blood, that animal, had paid the price for sin and that now they were clean. And so David needs God's help. He doesn't shy away from him, right? What did Adam and Eve do? They hid, they pulled back. Saul, he talks about Samuel, that's your God, but not David. He says, uh, I don't want your Holy Spirit to be taken from me. Cast me not away from your presence. David presses into God. He doesn't want uh, separation from God. He's not trying to hide from him. He's saying, come on in to my secret inner heart. And don't take away your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. You see, David had seen in the Old Testament how the Holy Spirit would come on the king to to give him special anointing. And so the Holy Spirit came on Saul when he became king. And then when God said, you are no longer fit to be my king, it actually says in the text uh, that the Holy Spirit rushed on David when he was anointed. And in the very next line, it says he was, the Holy Spirit was removed from Saul. And so David had seen this happen to Saul. And he knows that his sin could cause the Holy Spirit to be removed. Now, as New Testament believers, that's not the same for us. Uh, Under Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. Um, But it was a special anointing that David didn't want to lose. He didn't want to lose his connectedness with God. Um, And so just like compare the differences in David's response, that broken heart response, and the sinful heart response. Right? He's not blaming other people. He's taking ownership. He's not hiding and pulling back from God. In fact, he's asking God to restore his presence. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And he finishes with, uphold me with a willing spirit. He says, God, help me to obey. Give me a willing spirit so that I don't do this again. I don't want to make a bigger mess. And finally, that broken heart response is, an authentic, uh, is showing others the way, right? So David calls on God's character, owns his sin, looks to the inside for an internal heart change, and then he has a broken, uh, a broken heart response that shows others the way. He says, Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David wants to show others the way. How many of us, when we mess up big time, think in that moment, hey, this is going to be a great opportunity to, to praise God and to share with others. That's not what we do. 
We want to keep it hidden. We want to hide it. We want to keep it secret. But how many of us have been radically impacted by the testimony of others? Someone's testimony that has said, I once was lost. I was living a life of sin. But once I met Jesus, everything changed. Have you ever experienced a testimony like that? Was it not powerful and moving? And let's, let's think about this even some more. So showing others the way. Moms, dads, what do you want from your kids when they make mistakes? I've got a four, almost five-year-old. He turns five on Wednesday this week. A two-year-old, uh, Ben and Bo. And when they mess up, what's worse than messing up? Not telling me about it, not coming to me, trying to hide it, right? Or maybe even lying about it. You see, if, if I go to Ben and I tell him, buddy, listen, we all make mistakes. What I want you to do is when you mess up, would you come to me? Would you come to me? And we'll work through this together. You'll find uh, grace You'll find compassion. We'll deal with your sin together. Now, the first time that he messes up, he's going to be testing me. He's going to say, now, dad told me if I come to him, it'll be okay. If I respond in that moment with anger and wrath, he's, he's going to know that that's not my character but if I respond to him with grace and compassion in that moment and work through the, the repercussions of whatever he's done together, what do you think he's going to do the next time whenever Bo messes up? When his younger brother messes up, he's going to go to him and say, hey, don't worry. You can go to dad with your mess. Like He's going to help you. Right? So David knows that if he is forgiven. He's going to show others the way. You see, um, he understands that he wants to use this as an opportunity to praise God. To praise God because of what he's done and his salvation with him. He finishes with a reminder. Uh, you see these two contrasts. Saul, the king who just had it taken away, in uh, 1 Samuel, we see, what does Samuel tell him? Sacrifices are not important. It's what's on the inside that counts. And here David, he acknowledges that. He says, uh, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are on the inside. A broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. So David knows that what's on the inside is what matters to God. We don't have to try to clean up our mess. Only God can do that. And so, as we think about this response, what does David do? What's our four-part way to respond to sin with a broken heart? We call on God's character. We take ownership of our sin. We have an authentic and humble heart. 
and we show others the way. So what does this look like for us in everyday life? Uh, Let's say that your church just did a series on James, and you get to James chapter 3. Uh, For those of you who don't know, we just went through a sermon series on James, James chapter 3. And you read in James chapter 3. Get my notes here. Um, It's all about the tongue. If uh, anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Remember Kevin's bridle? He actually had one up here that day. Um, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Hmm. Uh, The tongue is set among our bodies, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. Uh, And then he goes on to say, With it we bless the Lord our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, My brothers, these things ought not to be so. In this moment, maybe you've been confronted with your sin. You've realized that in the past week, your words have been like what it says in Proverbs, many thrusts of a sword. The rash words are like many thrusts of a sword. You realize that with your words, you've damaged other people. You've maybe uh, made a response on pick, choose your social media, Insta, Twitter, Graham, whatever it may be, right? And so you've caused pain and harm. You've set a fire with your tongue. You've cut deeply someone else. What are we going to do now that we're confronted? Are we going to blame? Are we going to hide? Or are we going to come to God based on his character, own it, that, yeah, we messed up, that is sin. Me saying those words to you was a sin. And then you're going to come to God with a humble and broken heart. Ask for forgiveness. Say, God, I said this to someone else, but I know that saying it to them was damaging the image of God that you created. Would you forgive me for my sin? And then show others the way. Maybe you came home from work and it was a busy day. You're stressed out. And you respond rashly to your family. Hello, COVID. Do I recognize that in that moment, the words that I said hurt my family? Do I respond with a broken heart or a natural heart? Do I say, I'm sorry, uh, I didn't really mean it, like I was, it's been a stressful day, uh, you know, like a bunch of people were talking to me today and I didn't get a chance to really like decompress on the way home and so I just blew up at you. Is that what we do? Do we blame? Do we hide? Do we push it off? Or do we take ownership of it and respond with a broken heart? You see, David shows us in Psalm 51 what to do with our mess. And uh, during this season, 
I have seen a lot of messes. I've been at home with my boys. They have, uh, they like to make a mess. Every time we eat, it seems like, can we not find a cup that doesn't lose its lid and spill milk everywhere? Sometimes it happens that the entire cup gets spilled. Now Ben, my oldest, he's great. He loves to help. He's a people pleaser. And so he goes and gets a paper towel and he starts trying to clean up the mess. But the mess is too big. And so instead of actually cleaning it all up, what's he doing? He's just pushing the milk around, you know? Like, like it's still, it's wet, it's soggy, there's still a mess everywhere. For some of us, that's what we're trying to do with our mess. That's what we're trying to do with our mess. We're trying to clean up a giant mess that we've created, and we don't have the right paper towels to do the job. Psalm 51 gives us a roadmap for what to do when we make a mess. And we can use this, instead of trying to clean up our own mess, we can come to God. We can come to God with a broken heart, and we can be forgiven for our sin. And so I'll just pray that over us now, that as we close, um, that God would help us to have this broken heart response to our messes in our lives. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time together. God, would you just uh, work on us as we, as we continue to gather together to read your word, as you convict us of sin, would you help us not to try to clean it up ourselves? Help us recognize that your character is good is gracious, is merciful. You have steadfast love for thousands of generations. Jesus, it's your sacrifice on the cross that cleans up our mess. Pray that you just let us sink in on that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.